Good afternoon, Storehouse. Please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had, who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will settle, I will set you over much. Enter in the, into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will be given more. And he who will have a and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, good morning. No, it's the afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It is a joy to be with you. It's a joy to be with you every Sunday afternoon. In the event that you're just walking in and, and, and just caught Emma, we're going to find ourselves in the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're looking uh, uh, at verses 14 to 30. And so while you open or load your Bible, I just have a couple of quick updates for you. The first one is uh, based on our community groups. If you're not connected or plugged into a community group, let me invite you to join one. For us, when it comes to community, that's the lifeblood of our church. And so we believe that community groups are the primary avenue for discipleship and care here in our church. Uh, in addition to that, next week we're going to be starting a new series 
in 1 Thessalonians. We're really excited about this. We'll spend the majority, if not all of the spring, in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, It's a short letter, five chapters, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, And so I would encourage you to begin reading through that. It's not going to be a very lengthy read. Uh, And then finally, uh, if you're like many of uh, our members who like to take notes and go back and forth and write down some cross-references, all of our sermon notes are available on our website for you to download and so you can follow along. So those are all the updates I have for you. Let's dig into our time. How many of you, by, by show of hands, if you're comfortable, how many of you are achievers? You like to get things done, like three of you. So like you like to get things done, you want to make things happen, you, you find satisfaction in accomplishing things. Some of you are kind of like, well, I want to want to be an achiever. Uh, personally, I know that I'm hardwired to, to, to be an achiever. You give me a list, you give me a goal, you give me some kind of metrics, and I want to run after it and make sure that it's completed. Uh, and whether it's during the work week or even uh, my day off, I want to accomplish things. For instance, on my day off, I still have this list of things that I want to do. Uh, and it's not like chores and stuff like that. It's even things that many would consider restful, but I have to write them down. I have to know exactly what I'm going to do on my day off. And if I don't do them on my day off, I don't feel rested. I don't feel like uh, I did well. And so maybe you're like that. Maybe you're worse. Um, or or maybe, maybe you're nothing like that at all. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to be uh, both looking at our final idol in this series and, and, and landing the plane. Uh, And so let me just say a couple of things about this series. Uh, The first thing is that I I hope that it's not only been beneficial for you, but it it has been fruitful for you. As we have looked at the idols of comfort, approval, and, and sexuality, just know that these idols are not the only idols. Right, but they, there are certainly, they are certainly the most common ones or some of the more common ones in our culture. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we defined idolatry as a good thing that has become a God thing. It has become our ultimate thing. One pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says it this way about idols. He says, an idol is something that has a controlling position in our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at the idol of achievement. Right? We're going to look at achievement or accomplishment or, or success. We're going to use those words interchangeably. And so here's the first question. Has accomplishment taken a controlling position in your life? Has accomplishment taken a controlling position in your life? You see, the idol of achievement, just like every idol that we've walked through in this series, is tricky because it has, very, it has many faces. For instance, in the pursuit of accomplishment, the desire isn't always material possession. It's not always financial stability or security. Sometimes the desire is respect. Man, as I achieve and accomplish many things, the root part of that for me is respect. In other words, you're finally seen, recognized, admired, looked up to. 
Accomplishment could also be the pursuit of power, because with power, now you are influential. You're not just a winner, you are someone that people look to, you are an influential individual. Accomplishment could also take root when it comes down to to comfort because you're looking for lack of stress. Therefore, I'm going to work as much as I possibly can, achieve all that I need to achieve so that I would have the least amount of stress as possible. Or perhaps one last thing, when it comes to the idol of achievement, maybe the desire is actually control because standards and certainty are what matter to you most. The idol of achievement can be very, very complex and it has multiple spaces in our lives. It's not always work, it could be school or academic endeavors, it could be parenting. There are so many different spaces that this idol seeps its way into, making it very complex, but also incredibly destructive. It's very destructive, or it can be very destructive, because achievement is deeply connected to our identity. Think about it for a moment. When when you're successful, how does it feel? When you accomplish something, when you've achieved a goal, man, it feels as though you have worth because, man, this thing is not only accomplished, but it has given me meaning. But what about when you fail? Now you're a failure. Now you're not good enough. Now you're not as recognized. And so what tends to be our response? Well, our response tends to be to go hunt for success so that we can once feel that feeling again of worth and meaning and value. The idol of of achievement affects us on, on the daily, both with our engagement, but also for our entertainment. Like, it's not just this personal thing. It's this cultural phenomenon, right? Like, if you watch TV, if you watch any shows, like if you check out cooking or baking shows, we get to see people go at it for the biggest cake or the scariest cake, depending on the theme, right? And the idea here is that they're trying to accomplish something huge. They're trying to get some money so that they could invest back into their business and what do we see publicly we see them publicly accomplish something huge and we see them respond to like oh man this is not only going to help my business but this gives me worth this gives me value but then the individual that fails we see their failure like nationally and we see this shame come upon them because now they are defined by their failure just like the individual who has won in the show they are defined by that accomplishment Sports plays a role in giving us uh, the security of, of, of a victory through a team that doesn't even know we exist, right? Some of you are feeling that because of last week. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, not that I care. I, I think it's funny, but anyway. Think about education. Education is saturated with achievement, not just for the teachers, but for the students. You gotta make these kinds of grades, gotta reach these kinds of quotas, you gotta have this kind of performance and this kind of metrics, this kind of enrollment. Our culture is saturated with achievement. 
And so the idol of achievement is rooted in our identity because it's imposed by our culture and it's self-imposed by us in order to find worth and meaning. And so here's the hard truth and here's your, here's your main idea. The pursuit of achievement apart from our identity in Jesus means that we reject God's grace. Our pursuit of achievement apart from God is us rejecting his grace. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into this parable. God, as we come before you this afternoon, our prayer is that you would meet us where we are. That with your word, uh, you would bring comfort and conviction. And as a result, as we continue to examine your word, as a result, may we examine our hearts so that we would fix our eyes on the one who does satisfy, on the one who does uh, deliver what he promises, and that is Jesus. God, may your word this afternoon be sweeter than the taste of honey. So we ask that you would bless this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so once more, we're going to find ourselves in Matthew 25. We're looking at verses 14 to 30. And so as we look at this parable, I want to begin by saying this isn't a sermon about like productivity. This isn't a sermon about why you need to achieve or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, I want you to know, or, or why you shouldn't achieve, but I want you to know that achievement is actually a good thing. Achievement is actually a good thing, right? It's something, it's, a, it's, it's the capacity that God has given us to do good and meaningful things in this world. So achievement isn't a bad thing. So don't hear me say that. And in the parable of the talents, what we're going to find are two big themes. The first one, the first theme that we're going to be looking at is the generosity in achievement. The generosity in achievement. And I want to begin with this because I want us to see how achievement has a place in the Christian life. How it has a place in the pursuit of godliness and in generosity. And so briefly, the context of Matthew 25, this is not too long before Jesus makes his way to his crucifixion, and as he's spending time with his disciples, he's beginning to tell them about what's to take place. And in Matthew 25, he leaves them this parable uh, about, in essence, stewardship, and that he's going to be going away for some time, but eventually he will return, right? In this parable, Jesus is the master. And so he leaves him this parable as he prepares to make his way to the crucifixion. And when we consider this theme of generosity and achievement, here's what the parable teaches us. It teaches us at least three good things about accomplishment. The first is accomplishment is the result of our productivity. Accomplishment is the result of our productivity. When you consider this parable, when we look at the first two servants, we see that one was given five talents, another one was given two talents. And what did the servants do? They go back, they invest in it, they start working with, that, uh, with those funds, and they multiply it. You could say that they became fruitful with what was given to them. The first servant went from five talents to ten. The other one went from two talents to four. They doubled what they were given. They were fruitful with what they were entrusted with. In short, these servants went after it. They got things done with what they were entrusted with. And I want you to remember that word because that's the key in this parable. It's the word entrust. 
In our staff meeting on, on Tuesdays, as we met this past week, one of the things I, I told our staff was that our purpose as a team is to implement the mission of Storehouse McAllen. And the word implement is a cool word for we get things done, right? So when it comes to success and achievement, it's not a bad thing. Success isn't anti-biblical. In fact, it is the result of our productivity, our faithfulness, our diligence. Biblically, success is being productive with what we've been entrusted with. That's how you see in, the, in this parable. Secondly, and we're going to go through these kind of quickly. Secondly, the parable teaches us that we have way more than we need in order to accomplish whatever the Lord has called us to in this life. We have way more than we need in order to accomplish all that the Lord has called us to in this life. It's really easy for many, and, and this tends to happen, it's really easy to think that because each of these servants received a different talent, that there's different degrees of difficulty. Well, I'd probably be able to double the five if I wasn't given one, right? But this is the part where like historical context comes into play, right? So a talent, right, in the days of Jesus, was worth about 15 years of labors and wages. In our day, one talent is about $1 million. So when Jesus says that the master gave one five talents, that's $5 million. Another one received $2 million. Another one received $1 million. The point here is that the godly pursuit of accomplishment involves us realizing that we actually have more than we need to accomplish what the Lord has called us to. Now, whether we're aware of it, whether we're grateful for what the Lord has given us, that's something different, right? Again, it's not so much about what was given, but whether or not they were faithful with what they were entrusted with. As you consider these things, right, you see that gratitude, thanksgiving, has a great deal to do with the fact that we've been given more than we think. And thanksgiving fights against bitterness, and faithfulness produces generosity, which is what we see with these individuals. Third, the parable teaches us that a godly pursuit of accomplishment and success is the result of their stewardship, their identity. Right? Going back to the, to the text, beginning in verse 14, um, so for it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants, and here it is, and entrusted them with his property. Their identity is being a steward, that they've been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to them, but their job was to be fruitful and multiply to be faithful with what they've been giving. Their job was to work and multiply and invest and be fruitful and to steward what they've been given faithfully. And consider what he tells the first two servants when the master returns. He says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. 
to the second one, he says the same thing. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. The idea here is that as stewards, they were faithful with what they were given. They knew that what they were given wasn't theirs. Stewardship and biblical success go hand in hand because the point is to be fruitful and generous. When we steward what we've been entrusted with, we walk selflessly. And isn't that the part of uh, the point of the Christian walk? Thinking less of ourselves. In this parable, we see that accomplishment is the fruit of our identity, not the root of it. However, just like a good thing, if it becomes a God thing, then that means it has a controlling position in our life. We become defined by it, and when it comes to the idol of achievement, you and I need to know this. This idol is a tyrant. And that's the second theme in this parable, the tyranny of achievement. For many, the mask of achievement comes with many noble things, right? We want to provide, we want to care for others, or we simply want security. But in reality, we are enslaved to the tyranny of achievement. And achievement preaches this, you are what you achieve. That's what achievement preaches to you. And so here's what I mean. When our identity is defined by Jesus, we are then free to success or fail. However, apart from God, we are slaves to the tyranny of success, whether it's working more, achieving more, proving yourself more, collecting more. The point is to satisfy something that you know can not only not last, but has no eternal security. And that's the key of achievement. It promises security, but delivers slavery. Achievement promises security, but it delivers slavery. And as a result, when we believe, when we live this lie, our hearts are restless. Consider what King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2. Here's what he writes. For all his days are full of sorrow. The context of Ecclesiastes 2 is work. He's talking about his toil, everything that he's done. And he's considering, man, I've accumulated so many things. At some point, I'm going to die. I just made this realization. None of it is going to go with me. And some of it or all of this is going to go to someone else for them to enjoy. And I have no idea if they are a fool or wise. And so he goes on and saying, all his days are full of sorrow. And his work is a vexation. He's saying work is frustrating because of what might happen. But here's the key. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Once more, because achievement promises security and it delivers slavery, our hearts are restless. Because if it preaches that you are what you achieve, you're going to want to continue to go out and find achievement in order to find worth. And when you don't and when you fail, you're going to feel miserable, but then also go back out there and continue to hunt so that you don't feel this way. Achievement's going to promise something that it cannot deliver. 
Secondly, the, the idol of achievement leads us to believe that our worth is based on our production. If you do more, if you spend more time in work, if you do these additional things, if you dive into these uh, relationships, or if you just continue to pursue achievement, accomplishment, or success, then that's your worth. I mean, when you consider even celebrities, like online, right, sometimes you'll see, oh, so-and-so, their net worth is $15 billion, right? So-and-so, this celebrity has been in these movies, they are worth so many millions of dollars. The idol of achievement leads us to believe that, man, our, our value is found in our production. The idol of achievement leads us to avoid God. This is the third thing that we learn when it's, a, when it's a tyrant. The idol of achievement leads us to avoid God because we're trying to be God ourselves. Rather than remembering that we're stewards of what we've been given in this life, we decide to become owners. And this is where our motives and attitudes are exposed. Because at the root of a lot of the cause of achievement, it's us really trying to be God. And so what is exposed, what is revealed? And that's one of the things that we've been talking about in each one of these idols, that at some point our hearts are revealed, our motives are revealed, our attitudes are revealed. What we're trying to hide, what we're trying to mask is revealed. And so what is revealed at the heart of achievement? Our pride and entitlement, maybe even our laziness and slothfulness. You see, in the parable, the third servant receives a devastating consequence from his master, right? Broadly speaking, he receives eternal separation. We actually did a series on the parables. You can dig into that later. And so we don't have a lot of time to spend there. But here's what I want you to notice as a result of his consequence. See, it wasn't that he didn't invest or multiply that, that got the master upset. It's that he did nothing. He wasted the opportunity to be faithful. He wasted the opportunity to be fruitful. He valued himself more than faithfulness. See, our pride, that is when it comes to entitlement, I've worked so hard, therefore I deserve. I've done so much, therefore I need to receive, or not even receive, I get or our laziness when we value our time more than anything, our pride, our laziness, and achievement has consequences. And the consequences most of the time, if not all, are always relational. You see, when it comes to our pride or our entitlement, when it comes to our laziness, man, how is it that people are affected by this idol? People are belittled because of our success. We use people in order to advance in our success. We condemn people because they're not as successful as we are. The prices that we're willing to pay in order to achieve more and get more tend to be loneliness. We tend to pay for more responsibility just so that we could achieve success. We tend to want more independence. We neglect other things. We neglect family. We neglect the word. We neglect God because it leads us to avoid him. We grow apathetic. There's so many different kinds of consequences that this idol has. 
And so achievement doesn't only lead us to believe that we are what we achieve, it leads us to reject God's grace for us. And when we reject God's grace, consequently, we are enslaved by the image of achievement. We are looking for worth in our achievement. And rather than living as stewards of what we've been entrusted with, we are walking as owners of what we have. The idol of achievement is a tyrant. So then how do we free ourselves from this tyrant? How do we free ourselves from the idol of achievement? We become free from the idol of achievement by receiving God's grace. I'm going to say that one more time. I want to purposely slow that down. We become free from the idol of achievement by receiving God's grace. See the key word there? Receiving. Achievement means that you're earning. Grace means that you have received. Receiving is the opposite of achievement. Achievement says that you need to earn. Grace says that you need to receive this gift. And so that's where I want to take us. Receive grace this afternoon. I want you to consider Romans 3. These are two verses. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he opens up Romans 3.23 by giving us some bad news and leveling us all. Hey, it doesn't, here there's no achievers, there's no failures, they're just sinners. <laughs> and we've all fallen short. But he doesn't end there, which is great, right? He doesn't end there. He continues, and are justified by his grace as a gift. God, through Paul, is telling us that we have been justified, that is, that we have been declared righteous, that we have been made, with, made right with God, we've been acquitted, we've been pardoned. Our status is completely, totally, utterly changed. We have a new identity, that of a son or a daughter. You see, grace is far more different than achievement because unlike the idol of achievement, our identity is secure because of God's grace. That is what achievement cannot deliver. It cannot deliver security. And because your identity is secure, you can further receive the encouragement that all of us want to hear, and it's found in the parable where the master tells his servant, well done, good and faithful servant. It's an echo of what we walked through a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 3. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. See, it wasn't because of your achievement that you received grace. In fact, the gospel tells us that God accepts us not based on our achievements, but based on what Jesus has achieved for us. So today, receive God's grace for you. And to be clear, I know many are going to ask, uh, well, why would he do that? Why would he give us grace? Here's the answer, solely because it is in his nature to be gracious. That is how much he loves you. 
Further, I know that as you're hearing this, you're thinking like, okay, man, I need to receive that. I need to remember that. Got it. But there might be some hesitation because what happens tomorrow? Tomorrow you're going to go back to work. You're going to go back to school. You're going to go back to your vocation that are going to demand a lot of you. They're going to demand your performance. They're going to demand goals. They're going to demand grades. They're going to demand so many different things. And so what do you do with that? How do you receive grace when your job or our culture preach performance, metrics, and success? This is where the beauty of the gospel of grace comes into play. You can go back tomorrow to school, work, whatever. You can go back to parenting and do all of those things well. In fact, I want you to do them well. I want you to do them really well. I want you to be extremely faithful in what you've been given. And whether you achieve or fail... The gospel frees you from being defined by achievement or failure. That's what the gospel does. It frees us to achieve or fail without defining ourselves by our achievement or failure. If you achieve everything that you want to achieve this coming week, everything that you set out to do, if you go and achieve it, that's awesome. Praise God. Wonderful. Right? And it doesn't add to your identity. Because you are already secure. Likewise, if you go out and set all these goals and try to do all this productivity stuff and you fail at everything this week, it doesn't take away from your identity. Your identity is secure because of God's grace for you. And because we're going to hear all the noise, maybe tonight, but especially tomorrow, This is why the Sunday gathering is so important. See, when we come to the Sunday gathering, we're gathering to worship God by being reminded of his grace for us. Because in reality, that's the hard work. That's the hard work, isn't it? Allowing the grace of God to seep into our heart and mind. That's going to be the hard work for us. And this is where we remember God's grace so that we can preach God's grace to our own souls. The Sunday gathering isn't the only gathering for the Christian, but it certainly is the most important gathering for the Christian because it is here that we are formed by habits of grace. And these habits are the ones that we regularly practice so that God's grace would take deep root in our heart, in our minds, in our souls. Accomplishment is a good thing because we're hardwired for it. But accomplishment has its connection in our identity, and if our identity is defined by the image uh, of our culture or our own pride, then we won't have security because achievement preaches that you are what you achieve. However, God's grace preaches that you are what you receive. Achievement attempts to tell us that our worth is in our capacity to accomplish, but grace proclaims that our worth is in God's achievement for us through Jesus. And so as we close this series on idolatry, we've looked at comfort, approval, sexuality, and now achievement. I want to remind us, I want to remind you 
that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're immune to idols. In fact, if you have received conviction throughout this series, it is because the Holy Spirit is at work in you, showing, revealing, exposing that, hey, something or someone is trying to combat and rule and reign your heart. And here's the truth, Christian, that we need to be reminded of. You cannot serve two masters. Idols want to want mastery over you. But Jesus wants to pour his grace onto you. The apostle John wrote, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that is the fundamental message of the Bible. Turn from idols and turn to Jesus. Church, turn from idols and turn to Jesus. So Christian, here's a few questions for you. What has a controlling position in your life right now? What has a controlling position in your life? What or who preoccupies your time? What is something so meaningful that you're willing to sacrifice other good things to take possession of that one thing? What moves and attracts so much of your time, attention, act, uh, affection, and efforts? What moves you so much? Here's the challenge. Here's, here's the challenge if we're gonna be straight up in this time as we close, not out loud, but as you approach the Lord in prayer, I dare you to name your idol. Name your idol. Put them on the table before the Lord. And as your friend, as your brother, as your pastor, let's, let's get some perspective. Our idols are weak because they cannot deliver what they promise. They are dangerous because they exercise influence and mastery over you. The more you serve it, the harder its grip gets over you. Your idols are offensive to God because when we serve our idols, we are preaching that our idols are more beautiful and more fulfilling than Jesus. Therefore, confess it before God. Repent of your sin and replace your idols with his grace for you by rejoicing in what he has accomplished for you in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for being here. You didn't have to be, and yet you chose to be here. Thank you for that. It's an honor for us. I love you enough to tell you, apart from knowing Jesus, your heart is an idol factory. It doesn't only pump blood, but it pumps out idol after idol after idol that rule and reign over your life. Your heart is not just spiritually dead, it is restless. But the beauty of the gospel of grace is that God has made a way for us for our hearts to be new and restored through Jesus. So turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. Church, when we pursue the idol of achievement, 
we reject God's grace for us. Therefore, let us turn from idols and turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are a good and gracious God. You send your son to live and dwell among us, having a sinless life and dying a death in our place and for our sins. As a result, he has redeemed us and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. This gospel is all that Jesus has accomplished for us. Not our merit, not our personal achievement. Therefore, God, would you give us the humility and joy to receive your grace this afternoon? Lord, hear our prayer as we confess our sin, as we confess our idolatry before you as we confess that we have often trusted in something or someone apart from you and believed that it or they would deliver what they could not promise. Forgive us this afternoon and tend to our hearts.